Good morning. Why don't you guys stand for a moment, just so that you don't get tired on me. I'm going to move this a little bit. Merry Christmas. Soon to come. It's good to see you all. Man, that was cute. That was awesome. Yeah, it's just from my view right up front. Yeah, you can see who are wired that way. It was cool. Anyway, can we pray? Lord, how about this? How about we all pray? You don't have to. You can pray in your heart. You can pray out loud. But, uh, you know, church is never supposed to be a spectator thing, yeah? But a family thing. And uh, if you have a family like mine, when one speaks, sometimes they all speak. And uh, so why don't we try that? You can pray if you want to. You don't have to. But I'm going to pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for who you are, Lord. We bless your name. We thank you for fun, for family, for joy, for this great gift that is Jesus Christ. We bless you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. You can have a seat. You know, is Catherine here still? My mother-in-law, is she still around? Why don't you come sit up front, Catherine? This is my mother-in-law whom I love. You know, I'll probably hear about that later, but that's okay. That's okay. So, I wonder if you could turn in your Bibles to Luke chapter 2. Every, uh, every Christmas or every Christmas season, what I just simply do is just read through the Christmas story, the real Christmas story in Scripture, and I just wait for God to highlight something to me, which He does by His grace. And so what I want to present to you this morning is something that I've preached before, uh, not even that long ago, I think it was two or three years ago. And um, I, for some of you, you may think I'm ruining Christmas. Uh, I'm really not. I just want to speak about what actually happened. And there's a lot that the movies and other things tell us. And, but I want to look at what actually happened, and I want to look at why. So before we, we're going to pick it up in Luke 2, but before that, I'm just going to read you a little list I put here. What's happened before we pick up the story in Luke chapter 2. Well, Gabriel has appeared to Zacharias, who was serving as a priest in the temple, and Gabriel appears while he's doing incense, and you can imagine what that was like, and he tells him he's going to have a son, and that was John the Baptist, and we know he couldn't speak and so forth. Then Gabriel appears to Mary, who <laughs> did not yet know a man, and he speaks to her about carrying the Christ child, the Messiah, as a virgin, imagine trying to explain that to your boyfriend. No, I promise. No, really. Really, I have never been with a man, but you're pregnant. No, really. You know, just imagine. And they were betrothed, means they were to be wed. They were committed to each other, but the wedding hadn't taken place yet. That was Jewish custom. And then obviously Gabriel, or well, an angel appears to Joseph as well <laughs> to tell him. I think that was necessary. And then Mary goes to visit her relative, the Bible just says it's a relative, and, which is Elizabeth, and when she arrives, it says this, and, that, and it happened when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, that the babe leapt in her womb, that's Elizabeth, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, that baby was John the Baptist, Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit, and then she spoke out, she began to prophesy, she began to speak. And it's interesting that God caused two women here both to have miraculous children, 
to be with child, to be pregnant miraculously. One was way advanced in years, like Sarah of the Old Testament, and one, obviously, a greater miracle was Mary, the virgin birth. But it broke through years, hundreds of years of silence between the Testaments. The Word of God hadn't come for a long time to God's people. And there's various theories about if and why and what happened. We don't know. We just know that the last prophet Malachi, and after that there were hundreds of years, nothing was said. Then all of a sudden, heaven starts to break in. Oh, excuse me. Heaven starts to break in, and angels start showing up. And the word of God is heard again, and people start to prophesy. And it's interesting that the first person who spoke by the unction of the Spirit, after hundreds of years of no person doing that, no person being led by God to prophesy to speak, was a woman. Hey, ladies? Yeah. The second one was a woman. Mary. First Elizabeth, then Mary. It's pretty interesting. And then, who was the first to recognize the Christ? The unborn child. John the Baptist in the womb. The unborn, first to recognize the Messiah. The Bible calls him a baby, not a fetus. So, then Mary begins to prophesy. John the Baptist is born. Zachariah is filled with the Holy Spirit. He begins to prophesy. So imagine if you were in this family. That's kind of exciting. Imagine all the things that happened within one family after hundreds of years. And now all of a sudden, heaven begins to break in. There were five dreams, five divine dreams by angels during this process. Four of them to Joseph the father. There were people were filled with the Spirit. Gabriel visits two people. It could have been Gabriel was more like with Joseph. It doesn't say Gabriel. We just know it's an angel. The wise men from the east are warned in a dream about Herod. And shepherds are visited by angels. So heaven, in a sense, is breaking up. So breaking in and breaking up the demonic inter- interference. And it's coming in and bringing something to earth. So we're going to pick it up in Luke 2. And as I said, I want to speak to you about what happened and why. And I hope to get done in time. We normally like to be done by 11.30. But I'm going to ask you to open your hearts and your ears this morning. Not that every other week they closed. Okay? Don't mean that. But can we do that? So, Luke 2. I'm going to go read verse 1 to 5. And it came to pass in those days that a decree went out from Caesar Augustus that all the world should be registered. The census first took place while that guy was governing Syria. So all went to be registered, everyone to his own city. Joseph also went up to Galilee, out of the city of Nazareth, into Judea, to the city of David, which is called Bethlehem, because he was of the house and the lineage of David, to be registered with Mary, his betrothed wife, who was with child. So while they were there, so I'm going to read further, the days were completed for her to be Delivered, and she brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger because there was no room for them in the inn. All right, firstly, a decree goes out from Caesar to think that the fulfillment of this prophecy, a decree, am I missing? No. A decree went out from a Roman governor, from a Roman official. 
And that's why Joseph had to take Mary and go to Bethlehem. At the precise time that Christ was to be born, it was the secular world, the world system that caused him to be there. They were oppressing the Jews. The Jews were under their control. They were not trying to help them bring about their Messiah. This issue of them having to go there was also outside of Joseph's control, meaning he was not trying to bring about some prophecy because he was in the lineage of David. Hello? Neither of them had any control on why they were there, and yet they were there at the right time. You can think about that in your own time. I also want to point out that a lot of people make a lot to do about Mary. And that's fine. That's great. She is to be honored. But can I say that God made a covenant with David, the king. Who knows? The covenant of David, that the, the shepherd king to come, the king to come, the Messiah will come from your line and he will have a throne and rule forever. The reason partly that Mary was chosen was because she was betrothed to this man, Joseph. He was the one in the line of David, not her. This is how God was honoring his covenant to David. And so Joseph was chosen because he was in the line of David, the line of kings. And the Messiah had to come from that line. And Mary was married to Joseph. Isn't that interesting? So then it says, so it was while they were there, the days were completed for her to be delivered. So Mary's probably quite young at this point. They travel about 90 miles to, to Bethlehem. And there may have been a donkey, but it doesn't say so anywhere in the Bible. No mention of a donkey. That's a movie. We don't know how they got there, but I'm just saying. And my wife said, I've preached this before. She said, you ruined my nativity scene. Uh, and you know, you can have it. It's awesome and it's fun. But biblically, no mention of a donkey. We just know that it took some time. And it says that while they were there, we have this image of her arriving like, I need to give birth right now, like while they were still walking into town. No, they were there for a while. It says while they were there in those days. So she had been there. Yeah? A little bit different, but it's what the Bible says. Then it says swaddling cloths. She brought forth her firstborn son and wrapped him in swaddling cloths and laid him in a manger. That is very important. That's going to be actually the focus of today. But then it says, why? Because there was no room for them at the inn. That word inn, katalima in the Greek, is only mentioned two other times in the New Testament, both times spoken of by Christ, and it actually just means guest room. So we have this image of a hotel. It could have been an inn. But actually, the other two times it's used, it talks about a guest room. Go and find a, a guest room where we can celebrate Passover. You know, Jesus said that to his disciples. That's the room. That's the word. Same word. In the Old Testament used as well for guest room. It was customary in those days to go and find your relatives for a census and live with your relatives and stay in their guest room. Now, if Mary didn't and Joseph didn't have a guest room, or didn't have relatives there. We don't exactly know. We just know wherever that was, there was no room. But it, it, it wasn't like in the movies. The Bible never mentions an innkeeper. Anyway. I don't mean to ruin it for you. <laughs> but they were there for a census. 
and there was no room for them in the inn, wherever that was. Then he says this, now, let's read further. Now they were in the same country, shepherds living out in the fields, keeping watch over their flocks by night. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them. We're going to read all the way to the end of verse 21 and 22. And behold, an angel of the Lord stood before them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were greatly afraid. Then the angel said to them, do not be afraid, for behold, I bring you good tidings. Tiding means current news, right now, present, present news. I bring you good news in a sense, good tidings of great joy, which will be to some people, no, all people. Something of the Gentiles creeping in right there, but I don't know if they understood that yet. For there is born to you this day in the city of David a Savior who is Christ the Lord. And this will be the sign to you, you will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. And suddenly there was with the angel a multitude of the heavenly host praising God and saying glory to God in the highest and on earth peace and goodwill towards men. So it was when the angels had gone away from them into heaven that the shepherds said to one another, let us now go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has come to pass, which the Lord has made known to us. And they came with haste and found Mary and Joseph and the babe laying in a manger or lying in a manger. Now when they had seen him, they said, uh, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child. What saying? We'll get there. 2 verse 11, we already read it. And all those who heard of it marveled at those things which they were told them by the shepherds. But Mary kept all these things, pondered them in her heart, and then the shepherds returned and glorifying, returned glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen as it was told them. Now, Luke 2 11 in the Aramaic. It says here, for there is born to you in this day the city of David, a Savior who is Christ the Lord. That's the saying that they went around telling everyone. You know in the Aramaic, and to a Jewish person, to people who lived there, in the Aramaic, it literally, a literal translation is this, and it is said by commentators, it is the most amazing uh, or the most accurate statement of the deity and humanity of Christ throughout the Gospels. It's this, for, for today in Bethlehem a rescuer... I think it's the Moffat translation, old translation, says a divine rescuer. A rescuer was born for you. He is the Lord Jehovah, the Messiah. <laughs> they went around telling everyone this because they couldn't comprehend Jehovah, Yahweh, God, but born for us. It shook every form of doctrine. Hello. Someone's phone's ringing. Then it says, this will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths lying in a manger. Now, years ago when I started to study this, it struck me I had certain questions. We're going to get into some culture this morning. Some culture, we're going to talk about sheep and lambs, and some of you are going to be like, I thought we were at a Christmas service. But stick with me. Stick with me, yeah, because it's important to, to, as to where we're going. But why a sign? This will be a sign. What do signs do? Signs point to something, yeah? And why to them? Did you ever ask that? Why shepherds? Why to them? 
This is heaven's announcement. You consider this. Christ is born. Heaven makes an announcement. Hear he, hear he, basically. Heaven's announcement to shepherds. Why? Well, we're going to look at this. And for us to understand that, you have to first have a little bit of understanding of Jewish custom, Jewish culture, and something called the Mishnah. The Mishnah is, you have the Torah, which is the Old Testament to the Jews, specifically the first five books of the Bible, which was actually called the Book of Moses. Moses 1, 2, 3, 4, and 5. But then you have the Mishnah. The Mishnah was called the Oral Torah. We don't, it's not this. It was rabbinical, rabbis, rabbinical literature written down year after year after year, and it was the, the, the very detailed descriptions that depicted how the Jewish people lived in this day. They were meticulously, they followed this Mishnah. There's even commentaries written on the Mishnah. And it was the most highly observed in this day. Paul talks about it. He talks about being zealous after the traditions of the fathers. He wasn't talking about scripture. He was talking about the traditions of the fathers and the elders, which was the oral traditions passed down. It was this thing called the Mishnah. If you're Jewish, you know what I'm talking about. And in the Mishnah, it's very interesting. According to Mishnah law, it expressly forbids the keeping of flocks. These were shepherds anywhere except in the wilderness. And Bethlehem and Jerusalem were not the wilderness. Ha, ah, we have a problem. Except there was one type of flock that was allowed within a certain radius from Zion, that is Jerusalem, within a certain perimeter. And those were called temple flocks or rabbinic flocks. And they had to be kept by temple shepherds or rabbinic shepherds. These were priests. They were highly educated people. They were actually priests. They knew the law. They knew the law by heart. They were very well versed in scripture. They went around telling everyone the saying. You know that it was culture that shepherds were uneducated. No one would have listened to common shepherds. These were highly educated priestly shepherds. And they were tasked, right, to keep Temple flocks meaning what? Because it was right near Jerusalem. They would keep flocks and raise lambs until the ladies get a bit, oh, that's so horrible, for the sake of sacrifice. They had to raise Passover lambs. And they had to be without spot and blemish and the firstborn male and follow all this process. And these people were trained in the sacrificial art of raising flocks for the temple. This was the only type of shepherd that would have been allowed in that area. So, more than that, the, the Mishnah actually sanctions Bethlehem, which in the Mishnah it calls it the daughter of Jerusalem. Because when you have a large city, they used to call the little cities around about daughter cities, like we would say sister church, daughter cities. Jerusalem was the main daughter city to Jerusalem at the time. And Mish, the Mishnah sanctions Bethlehem, that all certified Passover lambs must come from Bethlehem. Can we look into a little bit more? Then we have to understand something called a flock tower. Isn't this interesting? Yes, this is so interesting. Good chat. <laughs> flock tower. A flock tower, they'll show a picture behind me, is something where they used to take shepherds up on a high 
hill, and there was like grass up top on a high like pinnacle mountain, and that was generally considered a flock tower. And they used to keep them up there. You can see predators coming from afar. It was much easier to keep the, sh the sheep up there at night and so forth. But there was only one real major flock tower in this whole area, and it was called Michdel Adir. It was very well known to them. It was actually quite famous. They, some people say that's where Jacob buried Rachel, and her name means lamb. But there was this one place, Michdel Adir, this one flock tower in that area, and it was well known, and underneath it, and there was a, there's a big cave, still there, there's a big cave underneath this flock tower. And that's where temple shepherds in this cave used to raise, when, the, when it would be what they call lambing season, they would bring the ewes to lamb, they would bring the ewes into this cave to make it safe, and they would have to keep it ceremonially and sanctually clean, because it was holy unto the Lord. It would have to be kept ritually clean according to the law. It wasn't some messed up place. But that's where they would bring the ewes to lamb, and they would inspect and try to raise Passover lambs, and they would have all these mangers, which weren't wooden crates and rocking things like we see in the movies. It was probably stone feeding troughs. And they'd have these all prepared with something called soft hay. There was only one place like this. Do you note that when the angel said to them in the city of David, in Bethlehem, it didn't tell them where to go? But it says they made haste. But Bethlehem's large. But they knew they went straight there. <laughs> you can't make haste going to a place you don't know. We're in a rush. Where are we going? I don't know. <laughs> Sometimes I feel like that when my family goes to dinner. <laughs> We're just driving around. <laughs> Is it just us? <laughs> All right. Flock towers. The shepherds were not told where to go, but it does say they were in the same country. They were in the same country, very important, in the same region, in the same area. And they knew, these were temple shepherds, the angel said the sign will be what? Swaddling cloths in a manger. They know, ah, there's only one place here that has swaddling cloths in a manger. And they went straight there. <laughs> Isn't it interesting? In fact, Micah, when the... Herod called all these scribes and stuff to find the Christ child after the wise men had come. He said, where's this child going to be born? And they said, oh, Micah says. And they quoted Micah 5, 2, I think it is. Also in Micah 4, 8, it says this. And thou, it was actually on that picture. And thou, O tower of the flock, the, ship, the stronghold of the daughter of Zion, the daughter of Zion, Bethlehem. Unto thee it shall come even the first dominion, speaking about the reign of David, the kingdom shall come to the daughter of Jerusalem. Jesus came preaching the kingdom. This, and thou, O tower of the flock, Hebrew there, Michdel Eder. In this place, the kingdom shall come. And so that's what happened. Now also, and it was the shepherd king. And he will bring back the first dominion like David. He will reign in the line of David. And so that's why they thought Messiah political. But it was much, much more than that. So they would have headed straight there. They probably went directly there. And it was a cave. It kept ritually clean, which would have worked well for the current situation. Justin the martyr 
100 AD, one of the early church fathers, plus early church father Tertullian, plus early church father Jerome, each one came after the next, they all wrote about Christ in the cave. It says here, and this was very soon after, the cave where Christ was born. He actually just, Justin the Martyr, moved there and lived right there and used to personally recommend people to go there. It's all part of history. Tertullian said that. Jerome said, belonging now to us in the cave where once the infant Christ cried. So, then it also says, we're not done yet. It says, keeping watch over their flocks by night. Do you know that most shepherds wouldn't do that? They would obviously in lambing season, but temple shepherds were required by Mishnah law to watch the sheep 24-7. You know why? Because when you would give birth, if it wasn't, you know, if it just gave birth, they had to be there because often they would have two. And by law, the firstborn male had to be the Passover lamb. They had to be there to witness the birth. <laughs> and they would witness the firstborn male lamb, and they would take scarlet thread. I mean, you can't make it up. The scarlet thread, the blood of Jesus. They would take scarlet and tie it to the firstborn lamb. Male lamb, if he was spotless and without blemish. And then they were required to testify of the lamb. They would go to the temple and say, ah, the firstborn lamb has been born. That was their job. I mean, you just can't make this stuff up. It's amazing. So they had to be there. They had to witness it. Then they had to testify to it. And then they had a practice. They would take these little lambs. I know it's day for sacrifice. I'm sorry. They would take these little lambs and they would wrap them in swaddling cloths. It wasn't a baby blanket, right? Like the movies. There were strips of cloth. One of the kids read it. Strips of cloth. And I didn't know that they were going to read this portion. But they would take strips of cloth and they would wrap individually the arms well, the legs, not arms, the legs of the lamb and the body. And why? Because they would thrash about. They were lambs. And they would wrap them up so they would remain without spot, without blemish. And they would place them on soft hay in a pre-prepared manger. And you know, sometimes, well, often what was those strips of cloth were made from were the, the linen ephods, their ones, from the past, which were stained with blood of previous Passover lambs. So they, they couldn't use them anymore. Obviously, they'd wash them. But then they would take stained with blood of the innocent and tear strips and wrap these lamps. So the angel comes and says to this shepherds, temple shepherds, educated, knew the scripture, knew the law. They said, today, born for you, Jehovah. And you, it'll be a sign that he will be wrapped in swaddling cloths and laying in a manger. To them, these shepherds went somewhere. doesn't even tell us how they knew where it was. I believe now we know. But they went and they saw a child, not a lamb, a baby, wrapped like a Passover lamb, which was given to atone for the sin of people. That's what they would have seen. But they were just informed by heaven 
For today in Bethlehem, a rescuer was born for you. For you. He is the Lord, Jehovah, the Messiah. And they went around telling everyone this. And people were like, what? You sure you heard right? Jehovah. Yahweh. Fully God, fully man. Born? What? And I believe this is why the heaven's announcement came to, came to these shepherds. It was God making an announcement to man. The age of animal sacrifices for sin has now come to an end. Because that's their job. And I have sent my son, whom I love, to atone for the world with a once-for-all sacrifice, for all sin and for all people. That's what they said, for all people. <laughs> they also understood that they were to testify of it, and thus brings forth the gospel. When they had seen him, they made widely known the saying which was told them concerning this child, a Savior, God made flesh, Christ the Lord, as the Passover lamb for sin offering. <sighs> That's the actual Christmas story. You know that there's no mention of a donkey anywhere. I'm so sorry. That there's no mention of an innkeeper. That there's no mention of a barn or a stable. There is no mention of any animals being present at all. Again, I'm sorry. <laughs> the wise men, there's no mention of three. Do you know that? Three gifts. Never says how many there were. It could have been ten, could have been three, could have been two. It does say they, more than one. Never says there were three. And they were not present at Christ's birth. Again, I'm sorry. They came, they saw a star in the east. And they came, took them all that time to get there. The star appeared there when Christ was born. Took them all that time to get there. They came to Herod when they, when they went and found the baby. That says they came into the house where the young child was. Young child. We know he was under two because then they fled to Egypt. Herod. That's why Herod said everyone under two because we don't know how old he was. That's when they came, which means what? No star at his birth. I'm so sorry. There was a star, but it wasn't, you know, like that. There was a star they saw there. In fact, this is the sign the Pharisees asked for. They knew the Old Testament declared the heavens will declare him. They said to Jesus, show us a sign from heaven. He's not just talking about miracles. There was a sign. They missed it. And so they came. They went to Christ later with the gifts. They weren't there at his birth. And it says, the star came back a second time and led them to where he was. And they were delighted that it came back because Herod had no idea. Imagine being so disappointed. You come all this way and you go to the guy in charge. Where's the king? Who? Be like, dude, we came all this way. They were so excited that the star came back. So, that's what happened. And so begins the offense of the cross of Jesus Christ. He is called the rock of offense, which over wise and proud men stumble. His birth declaring the problem with humanity. A baby wrapped as a Passover lamb for sin. 
So why did it happen? One word, sin. That's why. And I'm not talking about people doing bad things and sinning. No, no. I'm talking about the nature inside. The sin nature. I define that as the heart of man without God. The heart of man without God. His birth announces this. Every person, we know this, every person born since Adam is born with a corrupted sin nature. Everyone, because of what Adam did. People say, well, that's unfair. Well, your salvation is also unfair the other way. Every person born like that. Have you ever asked the question, what is wrong with the world in which we live? I have. I sometimes wake up with a sense that the world is lost and the church has lost its voice. What is wrong with the world today (laughs) in which we live? What is wrong with men, with mankind? What's wrong with them? Everywhere, everywhere, people searching for peace. Everywhere, across the world. Everywhere. But we've made the divine great mistake of thinking (laughs) that we can solve it by treating symptoms. Racism is a symptom. Hate is a symptom. War is a symptom. Greed is a symptom. It's not what's wrong with the world. Those are symptoms. (laughs) What's the phrase today? Social injustice that some people have and some people don't. Some people have more money, more privilege, more whatever. I got news for you. You can try equalize everything you want. It will never solve the problem. Because people having the same stuff is not what's wrong with the world. It's not. They're symptoms. Even Christians, we forget. You realize that without Christ, without eternity, there is no point to this life. Do you ever think about that? You know, we're born, we live. For some of us, we get to have children, we die. And then they replace us and then they die. For what? For what? Without eternity, for what? And every generation comes up with an answer to that question. Every generation. This generation came up with a great one. To make the world a better place. Everywhere you go, we must make the world a better place. Can I present to you, you cannot make the world a better place if you can't answer the question, what's wrong with it? (laughs) You can't. Fix it. And the scripture tells us it's sin. There's something wrong with the human condition. There's something wrong with human nature. Man's nature is the wrong side up. It's not how Christ, not how the Lord, not how God intended it. It's not. And all of the wicked stuff all the stuff that, oh, how terrible, all the wicked stuff in the world, the worst of the worst, the genocides, the war, the greed, the injustices, all of that started somewhere in the heart of a person. You can't fix the world by fixing symptoms. You must change the human heart. And you can't do that. 
Did you know that God's wrath exists today? Some with a little bit of religious background say, yeah, tell him, God's going to kill him. No. <laughs> Not like that. Romans 1.18 or 128, sorry, says, and even as they... They did not like to retain God in their knowledge. God gave them over to a debased mind. You know, that is a form, the form of God's wrath today. And what it means is talking about people who've refused to follow the light of their conscience, the fact that they have this something when they do something wrong. They refused to follow the light of the truth that they knew. They refused to follow the evidence of nature defining and speaking, saying there is a creator. They refused to follow everything. And their conscience begins to be seared as with a hot iron. And so God gives them over to debased mind, meaning, all right, I will let you go deeper and deeper and deeper into sin. And deeper to see how evil and how wicked man can actually become. Lord of the flies. Go read the book. That's really the whole thing. How wicked can you, how evil can a person actually become? If I give them over to their desires. And you will find there is no limit. Even in his wrath, that's how he, in a sense, deals with some people. It's mercy. In hope that they would turn. In hope that they would turn. Jeremiah said it, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? So... All of mankind, the Bible says in Romans 6, are born as slaves to a slave master, and that slave master is sin. And they are in need of rescue or redemption. Some people cannot see it. The Bible says their minds are blinded, their eyes are blinded. Some people see it, but don't want it because they feel it's a weakness to need some help. And it's not like that at all. We sang it today, O Holy Night. One of my favorite lines, for the slave is our brother. So the church points the finger at people saying you're a bad person. Can I suggest to you that's the opposite of the solution? The slave is our brother. Mary understood this. What's the time? You go back in Mary's song when she began to prophesy after Elizabeth prophesied to her. I'll just read the one verse. Luke 1.51, he has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the imagination of their heart. You know that arm, brachion, is the Greek. He's shown strength with his arm. All through Scripture, it's speaking about divine intervention, the arm of the Lord, the hand of God. Two other times it's mentioned in Scripture in the New Testament, this word brachion. One is in John 12, 20, uh, 38, I think, and one is in Acts I think it's 17. Do I have it up there? I did. I don't know. I was right. Acts 13. Paul speaking. John speaking. Speaks about the armor of the Lord. Paul says it this way. Men of Israel and you who fear God. Paul preaching. God of, the God of this people chose our fathers and exalted the people when they dwelt as strangers. Speaking about when they were captivity in Egypt. Dwelt as strangers in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm he brought them out. To exalt the people meant to pick up and to lift out. David knew it. He said, he has picked me up and lifted me out of a pit, out of the mud and the muck and the mire. Speaking about again, when they made slaves and bricks in Egypt. And some people live that life. That Egypt represents the system of the world. Pharaoh, the slave master of sin. And they work hard all their life, building another's kingdom, only to die with the wage of death. 
Well, that's good news. <laughs> Friends, only, only the arm of the Lord. Have you ever seen, I've said this so many times, but it helps to understand. Have you ever seen a drowning person rescue themselves with their own arm? Don't worry, I have a free hand. I'll just save myself. Doesn't happen. People have tried all their life. <laughs> Only the arm of the Lord can change the position of man in relation to God and in relation to eternity. Why? Because to change the position of man, you have to change his condition. And you cannot do that, and I cannot do that. <laughs> the human condition, that is the answer. What is wrong with the world in which we live? So, people say, well, I'll work really hard against, okay, I know, I know what you're saying is true because I have all these things in my heart and I want to do these bad things sometimes, but I don't listen to it. I don't do it. Well, that's awesome. It means your life will go well, but your condition hasn't changed. Your position hasn't changed. You can go against this issue of, we raise our children like that. They're unsaved. Hello. I mean, their children, I don't want to get into that. They'll go to heaven, but, but they need born again. They need this new nature. They need Christ at some point. They need Christ. So we train them to not just listen to every little woman impulse, of course. But they need change. They need born again. You cannot, and people say, well, I, I, I do things, I, you know, I'm a good person. I do, the, I do the right thing. You can do the right thing and still be in the wrong condition. You can't change your condition. You can't change your relation to God, relation to eternity. No one can do that. <laughs> because it's inseparable from you. It's part of you. The only way to deal with that would be for you to die. Oh. Jesus said, oh, okay, great. I'll come and I'll die. And I will come for you. I'll come in the image and the likeness of man. We made you. Let us make man. It's like, I was there when we, I made you in my image. That got bent and twisted and contorted in the garden because you were deceived. So now I'll be made in the image and likeness of man. And I'll die for you as a substitutionary sacrifice so that you can say that when you believe in me and I change this condition, this nature, I can say you are in me. If I throw this Bible against the wall, that piece of paper goes against the wall. That's what it means to be in Christ. So everything happened to me now happened to you. So you did die. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ liveth in me. So he said, then you've died. And I've dealt with that old nature. And it's the offense of the cross. Why? Because it says only Jesus. One way. Jesus Christ. That's the offense. It's the offense because the very first thing that Adam and Eve did with this terrible now contorted nature is they said, we can fix it. We can fix it by ourselves. We'll cover ourselves up. It's the first thing they did. We'll fix it. What does Mary say? With the uplifted arm. He said he has scattered. She, she said that he has scattered the proud in the imagination of their heart. That's not imagining pride things. The imagination of the proud is, I can fix myself. I can fix this issue. I don't need God. I can, I can live like this. I can, by the strength of my own arm, I can save myself. 
at the second birth of the world, so to speak, with Noah. He came out of the ark and he made a sacrifice to the Lord. It says the Lord smelled the pleasing aroma. You know what God said? I'll never again do this. He said, even though the imagination of man's heart is wicked, even from youth. Have you ever led youth group? You'll know. <laughs> I did, and I know. The imagination. Friends, we cannot. <laughs> it's not weakness. That's why it's foolishness to the proud, foolishness to the rich, the Bible says. There's two trees in the garden with two different types of fruit. One is the fruit of self-righteousness. I can make myself righteous. I can make myself in right standing with God apart from him. Eh, wrong. The other one is the fruit of his righteousness, the gift of righteousness. <laughs> Christmas, the real story of Christmas, is heaven breaking into this world and settling all debts on our behalf to offer us life should we receive it. Should we receive it. This will be a sign to you. You will find a babe wrapped in swaddling cloths laying in a manger. You will find God who became flesh wrapped up as a Passover lamb, stained with the scarlet thread of blood of the innocent, and he will die in your place. The offense of Jesus Christ on the cross, announced at his birth. This was heaven's announcement. And you know that they were still poor? I won't even get into that. They were still poor. Probably why they had to go there. When Mary made the offering for the cleansing of her, you know, after his pregnancy was the law, you had to go make an offering for pregnant woman to be cleansed. She offered what Leviticus calls the poor man's offering, turtle doves. You know what they were supposed to offer? A lamb. A lamb. They were supposed to take a lamb and offer a lamb to, to, sancti to sanctimoniously cleanse this issue of, you know, a woman who had given birth according to the law. It says, but if you have no money, you can bring two turtle doves or two pigeons. You go read the next few verses. It says, Mary went, they dedicated Christ, and she offered two turtle doves. They had no money yet. Wise men hadn't come yet. <laughs> but God will provide. For those he calls, he provides. He's called every single one of you. Every single one. Every single one. You may be sitting here today, and the answer to what plagues man is his condition. The answer is Jesus. That is the Christmas story. Now, nativity scene is great, and that's awesome. But if you're sitting here today, and you do not know the Lord, and there's something in your heart going, I see. The Bible says in Isaiah 53, to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? It's revealed. It's not debated. It's revealed by the Spirit. It comes into a human heart and goes, hey. And you go, and you understand. And something comes alive and so you say, I need, I need him. I need him. Isaiah was a good man. He was a good man. And then he saw heaven. And he said, oh. I'm an unclean man. 
Peter, when he saw the Christ, he fell to his knees. He said, get away from me. I'm unclean. If you're here today and you do not know the Lord and there's something in your heart saying, I need this. I realize I need it. We have a testimony, and I haven't asked them if I could share it, so I will be hazy with the details. About a month ago, a person who was raised Jewish was here, and they had an actual vision in worship. They saw something that they'd seen in Israel, and inside they heard, Christ is the Messiah. Jewish person. And they said, they knew inside Jesus is the truth. And she says, joy filled my life. Right here in the worship, no one prayed for her, no one nothing. The arm of the Lord is revealed, but you choose to respond to it. So, if that's you, we're going to stand and close. I'm going to ask you, come meet me by the stairs, please. Don't care what people think. Every person Jesus called, he called publicly. Every person. If you're sitting here today, can we quickly stand, actually? And you are saying, I don't believe in all this stuff. Well, firstly, good for you for coming. Because that probably means your family dragged you here. And you're probably hungry. And I get it. That was me. If you're here, I would say, well done. But I'm going to ask you, we're all going to pray this prayer together, even if you're saved. We're doing it for the sake of others. I'm going to ask you to pray this with us from your heart. If you're listening today, the same thing. And we're just going to ask the Lord to reveal himself to us. Yeah? Can we pray this? Can you repeat after me? Lord, if you are real, if you are the truth, then show me. Somehow, change my heart and reveal yourself to me. Thank you. All right. Wonderful. If you're here, I'd love to meet with you. If you'd love to give your life to the Lord for the rest of you, Merry Christmas. God loves you. I love you, but he loves you more. And uh, have fun. Don't throw away your nativity scene. It's great. <laughs> it's wonderful. It's just wonderful. Add camels. You know, just go for it. And bless you guys. And uh, we don't have a service next week. We're taking a break. But please stay. Say hello to one another. Be nice. Actually, they're family. They belong to the same family as you. And have some tea and coffee. Over to Tommy.